Chapter Twenty Five, Part B of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Law. Chapter Twenty Five, Part B. Conditions for Fossilization burial is of course the first prerequisite for fossilization and it should be such as to exclude the air so as to prevent oxidation of the organism this burial is most often effected by water-borne sediment which in turn is derived from the degradation of older rocks sediment deposited in the seas and oceans is of the first importance and as a consequence the fossil remains of creatures making their home in the shallower regions are by far the most abundant while the deep-sea organisms are comparatively unknown because so little of these deposits has been elevated into land the first-named deposits especially when formed near the mouths of rivers sometimes contain the remains of land or freshwater animals which were swept out to sea by the stream but such inclusions are purely accidental and not of common occurrence in some instances however notably in the case of certain dinosaurs they have given us the only specimens of their kind thus far discovered freshwater deposits are largely those of river bar or delta or floodplain though ponds and lakes do add their quota the great tertiary fossil fields of the western states were formerly supposed to be the result of lake-borne sediment but the lakes would have been of such vast extent that the creatures in many instances were found an impossible distance from the supposed shoreline where burial would be ineffectually slow the lacustrine theory of origin has therefore been largely abandoned in favor of the idea of floodplain sediments of ancient rivers the greater part of our knowledge of terrestrial vertebrates is derived from such deposits windborne material in the form of loess or volcanic ash has yielded fossils of land-living beings the former containing largely shells while the bones of vertebrates are more often found buried in the latter miring miring in bogs and quicksands with its combined death and burial has been a mode of preserval which has notable examples in the mastodons found in numbers in new york and the adjacent central states and the great irish elk whose remains are common in the peat bogs of ireland perhaps the most remarkable death trap in the world is found in the rancho la brea which lies on the western border of the city of los angeles california the conditions there are thus described by miller after merriam crude asphaltic oil from the underlying fernando shales has been forced to the surface through cracks or chimneys in these folded strata to accumulate upon the surface as more or less extensive oil pools this heavy oil under the influence of sun and wind underwent a process of natural distillation becoming more and more viscid until in the larger accumulations it was sufficiently tenacious to entrap and hold the largest mammals of the region elephus 
mastodon and paramylodon additions to these lenses of asphalt took place at the center as fresh oil rose through the chimneys from below at the same time dust and sand drifted over and obscured the firmer asphalt of the margins these two factors combined to bring about a most deceptive condition in the mass by leaving the periphery fairly firm and yet permitting a gradually increasing degree of plasticity toward the center without a positive demarcation of the danger zone upon this treacherous surface a mammal would be unaware of danger until the dust-covered surface yielded under his weight his sudden start or his leap for safety would make all the more complete his entanglement the entanglement of one ungulate would suffice to attract a multitude of carnivores the creature probably acted not infrequently as live bait for a considerable time so that its struggles and outcries served to whet the appetites and overcome the instincts of caution in the hungry carnivore it appears from miriam's studies that young animals or else old and diseased individuals have very frequently been thus tempted though there appear animals of all ages subsequent vicissitudes after all the conditions for initial preservation have been fulfilled the resultant fossil is subject to various vicissitudes as time goes on due to pressure elevation folding and subsequent erosion of the strata and to the slow circulation of acidulated and other waters through the rock either from above or below the latter may dissolve away shell or bone leaving only a mold which may be subsequently obliterated or the mineralized fossil may assume a crystalline structure and thus become unrecognizable as a relic of organic life crushing is due not alone to the tremendous weight of the superimposed rock but also to the natural shrinkage of water-laid sediment in the subsequent drying out process to which it is subjected notable instances of such distortion are shown in the niobrara chalk of kansas which was laid down in a shallow inland sea toward the close of cretaceous time here the bones of pteranodon and other winged reptiles are crushed flat though formerly those of the limbs were cylindrical but very thin-walled in one specimen of a mosasaur preserved in the yale museum the vertebrae had originally an average length and breadth of about eighty millimeters one of these vertebrae which lay upon the articular face has a present length of twenty-one millimeters while another which lay upon its side has had its breadth reduced in the same ratio about one to four sometimes the fossil has been subjected to an oblique shearing movement which completes the distortion and it requires the most judicious study to restore the organism mentally to its original symmetry of form field technique in his search for fossil shells and plant remains one need not go far afield for wherever sedimentary rocks are exposed there is a varying chance for success the fossils in which the more fragile portions of the organism are preserved are not so often met with and but few areas the wide world over have thus far produced them 
Terrestrial vertebrates are also rare as to localities, though often abundant within a limited area or horizon. Aside from certain places where fossil-bearing rocks have been brought to light as a byproduct of some commercial enterprise, mine, quarry, or railroad cutting, the most productive exploration has been made in the drier areas of the globe, where soil or glacial drift does not conceal the eroded rocks and where the whole geologic structure is unobscured by a mantle of vegetation. Thus, the semi-arid portions of our west, of Patagonia, or of northern Africa are among the most favored places for field research. The vertebrate technique has been reduced to a science which may be briefly summarized. After a judicious questioning of the inhabitants of a given region, which often yields much information of value, the prospector, acting upon the knowledge thus gained, begins a careful, systematic search of the exposed rock, generally along cliff or escarpment, or within eroded watercourses. Here one often sees some portion of the skeleton protruding from the sandstone, or the first indication may be a fragment underfoot, technically called a lead, which one must, if possible, trace up the declivity until its original resting place is found. This may reveal the more or less complete skull or skeleton of a bygone type. Upon locating his prospect, the worker then excavates the specimen with the utmost care, hardening it, if necessary, with weak shellac or a solution of gum arabic, which penetrates the bone and renders it capable of being handled where otherwise it might be too fragile to save. The joints which are found in all consolidated rock often pass through the specimen, rendering it already in fragments while still in its native matrix. Hence, as the bone is exposed from above, it is covered with strips of cheesecloth or burlap dipped in flour paste for the smaller specimens, or in liquid plaster of Paris for the larger. When these bandages have thoroughly dried, the fossil is further excavated and the covering extended until it is so far protected that one may completely undermine it and lift it from its bed. The bone is then turned over and the bandaging completed. In the case of a large bone or skeleton, wooden splints are included within the outer bandages the process being analogous to the setting of a fractured limb by a surgeon. In fact, it was a physician who first adapted the surgical method to the collecting of fossils. Carefully labeling, packing in specially constructed boxes in hay or straw, and transportation to the museum, which often implies a long haul or portage before the railroad is reached, complete the work of the collector. In the museum, the preparators unpack, and by softening the bandages with water, they are one by one removed until the fossil is laid bare. Then the matrix is carefully removed, the bone further hardened with the gum arabic solution, all fractures repaired with a special cement of plaster of Paris and glue, and the bone is ready for study. Significance of Fossils as one has said, the laws of physics are unchanging with the flight of time. 
a crystal formed a million years ago is precisely similar to one formed yesterday organisms on the other hand are not immutable but are continually evolving into other and more specialized forms though the rate of progress may be retarded or accelerated and a given race of animals or plants may differ markedly from another in its plasticity nevertheless the law holds true that mineral forms are changeless organic forms are altered as time goes on thus it comes to pass that while the nature of a given rock and that of its contained minerals may give no possible clue to its geologic age the character of the included fossils indicates conclusively the time when the sediments were laid down certain types of animal or plant life are so characteristic of a certain geologic age that the term index fossils has been applied to them and their importance in ascertaining geological chronology is of the first order fossils indicate the extent and boundaries of former lands and waters the marine fossils showing the limits of encroaching seas those of terrestrial origin the continental areas the two combined defining with great nicety the ancient coastlines as interpreted by the expert further as the isolation of contemporary marine faunas implies the existence of land barriers so the appearance of new terrestrial animals previously unknown within the area is evidence of the formation of new land bridges to serve as paths of migration it was such evidences as these which enabled professor Suchert to prepare the admirable series of maps showing the evolution and vicissitudes of the north american continent and thus to raise paleography to the status of a science the variation of temperature and degree of moisture is perhaps most clearly indicated by the fossil plants but at the same time the animals do add their evidence for instance the increasing aridity in the west during the tertiary had we no remains of the flora would be as emphatically proved by the rapid diminution in the number and kinds of browsing animals and the great increase of grazing forms after the beginning of the miocene the modern camels show marvelous desert adaptations which include among other details the yielding padded foot in most hoofed animals the foot bones have a keel on their lower end fitting into a corresponding groove in the upper end of the succeeding bone thus limiting the movement to a single plane and preventing an undue spreading of the toes in the modern camel these keels are lacking whereas they are present in ancient camels the time of whose final disappearance indicates therefore the beginning of desert adaptation and hence of aridity of climate the study of fossils has given rise to a new branch of zoology and biology and while it cannot be carried to the extent of an experimental science the growing wealth of knowledge which paleozoology embraces could be studied by the laboratory biologist with great profit a student of the philosophy of history may especially in these stirring times when the map of europe is subject to rapid change 
gain much knowledge whereupon to erect the fabric of his theories by his own observation of contemporary events but for final proof of his deductions he turns to musty records of the bygone centuries wherein he may trace the evolution of nations and the rise and fall of empires so it is with the student of evolution concerning which a great deal can be learned by experimental work by the propagation of domestic animals and plants and by witnessing the wonderful adaptations to every possible environment on the part of the teeming hosts of living forms but as with the human historian the final proof rests upon the documentary evidence which in this instance paleontology alone can furnish this evidence is still imperfect in parts the chapters were never written in others or the record has suffered grievous mutilation by the relentless hand of time in places debris from the older rock with its contained fossils has been redeposited confusing the record as a palimpsest may show traces of former writings intermingled with the new in spite of these vicissitudes the evidence is becoming more and more complete and with each added link the vision of him who contemplates it grows ever clearer end of chapter twenty five part b